Well, the word for today is wow. And by wow, I mean a scarlet sunset over a lake. The veins in an autumn leaf. The first flowers bursting forth from the ground in spring. A freshly fallen snow, pure and white. Wow is a baby's healthy arrival or a child's first trip to the ocean. Anne Lamott writes about wow in her book, Help Thanks Wow. She says, it's a sharp intake of breath when we can't think of another way to capture the sight of shocking beauty. You are almost speechless, but not quite. You can manage barely this one syllable. And wow has a reverberation, wow, 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 wow. The words wow and awe are the same height and width, she says. All W's and short values, they could dance together. Our wow can be the beauty of creation, but it can be so much more. The gift of friendship, an act of forgiveness, a courageous act of self-sacrifice. Oh, wow. And the truth is there are wow promptings everywhere around us. We just have to pay attention to them. And when we do, when we are stunned to the place beyond words, just that one syllable, we're finally starting to get somewhere. And when those wows get directed towards God, we call that worship. It is no longer just a vague sense of awe, but it is directed toward a person, a loving God who is the giver of all good gifts, a creator God who loves us, and sustains us and cares for us. A God who keeps giving, keeps forgiving, keeps inviting us into relationship with him again and again. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. We're in the middle of a four-week series called Practice Not Perfect, where we're looking at four practices of the early church based on 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to chapters 14. Today's practice is worship. Or, oh, wow, God. Our passage today, 1 Corinthians 14, is 40 verses. So rather than read them all, I'm going to briefly summarize the passage and highlight just a few verses along the way. Then we'll look more at the idea of worship in general and how that looks for us here at City Church. So, first, first, 1 Corinthians 14. As you may recall, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14 form a little subsection of that book addressing how the church is to function together. In chapter 12, Paul's point was each of you has been given a different gift or strength, but you're all important. In chapter 13, Paul adds that love is the guiding criteria for how we use the gifts God has given us. And here in chapter 14, Paul gives specific instructions for how these two concepts of gifts and love work together in their worship services. Now, the church in Corinth in the first century looked different than the church in Minneapolis in the 21st century, as you can imagine. They probably had a maximum of 50 people in their house church. So a lot of the specific directives Paul gives to them about worship may not apply to our specific setting, but the principle underlying those specifics does. I mentioned briefly last week that the Corinthians were really into flashy, overt forms of spirituality. One gift they prioritized was described as speaking in tongues, 
which sounds, I know, super weird, but essentially it was when a person spoke in a different language not known to them or to those around them. It was intended to be a way of praying privately to God or of praising him. It was eye-catching to be sure, but it didn't really make sense to anyone. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. If you've ever visited a foreign country where you didn't speak the same language, you can imagine just how confusing and isolating this must have been for those gathered. Now, Paul is not opposed to this gift for private use, but when the community gathers together, he says, the goal should not be personal edification, but rather communal edification. Verse 5, so that the church may be edified. Verse 12, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. And verse 26, everything must be done so that the church might be built up. And because speaking in tongues can't be understood by everyone, it doesn't benefit anyone present. So instead, Paul says, the more helpful gift is prophecy, meaning speaking in the language of the people gathered, whatever that language is, the words of truth, wisdom, insight, or teaching about God. This is similar to our version of sermon today, but not limited to just that. Verses three to four, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in, in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Paul uses the word intelligible. We might use the word accessible as the criteria for what needs to happen in worship services. And he gives two examples from their time period. Instruments like pipes or harps were used for both occasions of feasting and mourning. You'd better be able to understand what tune is being played in order to know whether this is a celebration or a funeral. I mean, how could you possibly enter into that without knowing which one it was? Similarly, with a trumpet's battle cry, the soldier had better be able to distinguish whether this is a call to charge or a call to retreat. The message has got to be clear accessible, understandable, intelligible to all those present in order to be worthwhile. Everything should be done so that the body might be built up. Meaning, plan your gatherings with the whole community in mind, not just yourselves. For when you do, then it will benefit everyone, those fully engaged in the community and those who are still checking it out. Paul calls those still checking it out inquirers, we might say people who are curious or seeking to learn more about Christianity. And Paul makes very clear that the church is to have both in her midst, those who are still deciding whether they think Jesus is Lord and those who have called him Lord for years. Sometimes I've heard people newer to City Church say, oh, I don't know if I belong. I'm not quite there yet. I'm still deciding what I think about Christianity. Yes, you belong. We expect this community to be a mixture of people on all sorts of the spectrum. And quite frankly, we have failed if it isn't. So be among us. Go at your own pace. We are glad you're here. And our hope is what Paul's hope was for the church in Corinth. For those who are following Jesus, Paul's goal for worship is verse 31. 
so that everyone might be instructed and encouraged. His goal for those seeking is not confusion, not being able to understand what people are saying in a different language or Christianese, but conviction. Verse 24 to 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Some of you have shared with me that when you first started here with no previous church background or a long lag time in your attendance, you were really touched by the music, that you felt just a sense of peace or hope or comfort from that. Others of you sensed God's presence in communion. Others of you found sermon stimulating or thought-provoking. Others of you received a warm welcome from people or a prayer uttered by a stranger that was exactly what you needed to hear. All of these aspects of our time together can be used by God to draw people to himself. So what's the point of worship? It's so that the church might be built up. How might our gatherings look different if those of us who called who called City Church home came each week with the mindset, how can I build up the church? I think it might change who we see, how we listen, how we greet and respond to one another, and how we serve. And this is a challenge because this is a different message than our consumeristic culture. We are customers everywhere we go and the customer is always right we get mad if the barista at starbucks doesn't you know get our drinks in we get whatever we want we shouldn't have to put up with others preferences we don't even realize it but we bring those same expectations and values to worship the style of music today isn't what i like the sermon topic doesn't seem pertinent to me I'm not resonating with the words of the songs. Now, I'm not saying this is a license for worship leaders or preachers to get sloppy. I'm just saying we may at times not connect with a certain aspect of the service. And when that happens, we can think about the church being built up. We can think about those around us who might need to hear this song or this message. And we can pray for them. We can listen a little closer to the message we didn't think we needed to hear. Because worship is not just about us connecting with God through our preferred means. It is about us being formed by God. And for the remainder of our time, I want us to think about worship in general, what it's for and why we do it. Philosopher James K.A. Smith makes a bold claim in his book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. He says, contrary to Descartes' maxim, you are what you think, we human beings are driven by longing, desires. And it's those desires that give shape to our choices and habits. The challenge is that there are so many competing options vying for our affections. What is really worth pursuing? Internally, we get conflicted. Externally, we are quite often captivated by rival visions of what it really means to live the good life or to flourish as a human being. And because we're so susceptible to shifting our loyalties and our loves, 
ever so slightly in ways that aren't even perceptible to us. We need constant readjustment. We need to be reset on what is worth loving. We need to be recalibrated regularly so we don't get off track. In 1914, the merchant vessel Nantucket rammed the steamship Monroe off the coast of Virginia during a thick fog in winter, killing 41 sailors. Initially, fault lay only with the captain of the Nantucket. But during the course of the trial, it became evident that the captain of the Monroe also shared some blame. Reportedly, his steering compass had not been adjusted in well over a year. And while his compass was off only two degrees, it still put him in a position unanticipated by the other ship's captain. And the consequences of this misorientation were tragic. Witnesses reported seeing the two captains meeting after the trial, clasped hands sobbing on each other's shoulders. The sobs of these two burly seamen are a moving reminder to us. Our hearts are like compasses, honing devices, which need to be calibrated regularly to our creator, True North. Without regular calibration, we will get off track and even a slight degrees off track can have significant consequences. Worship helps recalibrate our hearts. It's the way we align ourselves with what is true, with God's kingdom. It's where God's spirit can shift our longings back to center so we don't stray. It's God helping us remember what we know is true, but we have just forgotten. And as such, Worship isn't just something we do. It's something God does to us. And as I am recalibrated, as I remember what is true, it begins to stir within me deeper longings. And this is not just an intellectual longing. It is a remembering that grips my heart, my emotions. It is this deeper part of us that must be tapped if indeed we want to change. One author spoke of this phenomenon like this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. That's what is happening here in this painting from the 1800s. The painting is called The Boyhood of Raleigh. And it depicts Sir Walter Raleigh, one of Queen Elizabeth I's explorers, who established the British colonies in what is now the coast of North Carolina. In this painting, the artist is imagining just what it was that made Raleigh so adventurous. What made him hunger for the sea? Here he is as a little boy with a friend, captivated by the tales of this old wise sailor about what's on the other side of the horizon. Those stories cultivated a longing in Raleigh that enabled him to persevere amidst storms until he found those faraway, distant lands. Similarly, our worship should tell us a story that makes us want to set sail for the immense sea of our God, longing for a far better country, a heavenly one, the kingdom he will establish when he returns. It should remind us that this land exists though we cannot see it now in the fog and though we have lost our way. 
It puts the story in front of us again, inspiring hope, perseverance, courage. There is a God and he can be known. He has made himself known. He loves us. He has given himself for us and he will one day come again to set right all that is wrong in this world. Here at City Church, whether you realize it or not, we're seeking to tell you true stories like that every week through word and song and prayer. Stories that captivate your imagination and stir your longings. For as Smith says, worship that restores us is worship that restores us. It tells us the story again and again because its echoes grow dim in our ears. We set offshore and our eyes can't see. We need to be told the story again. And just what is the story we're telling? I've asked Devin Pogue, our worship arts pastor, to come and share with us some of that. One of the reasons I so appreciate worshiping at City Church is because Devin is so intentional week after week in how he does this in our services. So I'm going to have him come and share for a few minutes, and then I'll conclude. Former president of Pixar and Disney Animation, Ed Catmull, once said something that really resonated with me. And I think to some extent it shares the heart behind how I think about our gathered worship together. When asked about the purpose of art, Catmull responded, art isn't about drawing, it's about learning to see. That's how I like to think about our time of worship together. It's not just about singing, it's not just about hearing a sermon, it's about learning to see. For me, that reality makes every moment that we gather together critical. The words that we sing teach. The scripture that's read, the sermon, the prayers that we pray are all formative and help to shape the way in which we see. And so it's about learning to see the world through the eyes of God. It's about learning to see God as the creator of all things. It's about learning to see ourselves as his creation. Learning to see our imperfections, our failures, and our sin. And seeing a God who loves us, forgives us, and redeems us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we're not only invited to remember these things. We're also then given the opportunity to live our lives as an act of worship. Longing to treat others with the same love and compassion that Jesus showed us so that we might make our community look a little bit more like the kingdom of God. Living with the hope that one day God will fulfill his promise to restore all of creation and make right what has been made wrong. And so you'll see these themes week in and week out. Creation, brokenness, confession, forgiveness, redemption, and restoration worked into the context of our weekly worship. This is the story that we are telling. And that's going to look different each week, depending on uh, the theme, depending on the, the Bible passage we're looking at. Um, but we hope that in you hearing that, you can spot it more in the weeks to come as we continue practice worshiping together as a community. So briefly, just before we close, here are three ways I want to challenge us as a community to practice worship more. First, come to worship. I know there are a lot of other 
things vying for your attention. There are weeks where I'm a pastor and I want to stay home. (laughs) But as in every area of life, little habits over time make a big difference in our lives. One or two degrees may not seem like much at a fixed point, but extended over time can change our course drastically. So whenever you're in town, whenever there are not other pressing obligations, make it a priority to come. Second, fully engage in worship when you're here. Think about the words you're singing. Listen for God's voice underneath or behind the preacher's. Receive from God what he has for you. Listen for echoes of the story we are retelling and seeking to be shaped by. Let God satiate your desires in communion. Third, worship so that the church might be built up. Come looking for how you can contribute, how you can build up those around you. Maybe that's by your singing. Maybe you you come in and you're feeling confident God will fulfill his promises. Sing out, because I can promise you there's somebody else sitting here who is having a hard time believing that and who needs you to sing it for them, needs you to believe it for them. Maybe it's by the way you encourage someone in a conversation after the service where you truly listen and you offer wise counsel and gracious response. Maybe it's by praying for someone in the lobby or at prayer point. We need each other. City Church, let's practice worship by being mindful of all the wows in our lives and directing them towards God in thanks and praise. Let's remember the story that gives shape to our lives. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. Let us allow our compasses to be centered yet again on true north. Let's tell the story in such a way that it elicits a longing for all to join in, for truly there is no greater story. Let's pray. Oh, our God, we are so grateful once again for the privilege of pausing in our insanely busy weeks and trying to um, hear your voice that gets drowned out and muffled by so many other sounds. Thank you for the privilege worship is. Thank you that you are worthy of worship. We ask you now, as your disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We would say, Lord, teach us to worship. Teach us to see you more clearly, to be filled by you that we may leave here strengthened, spilling over love and mercy and grace and truth and to those we meet so that your kingdom may come more fully on this earth as it already is in heaven and we long for that day when you will return and fully establish it. We pray in Jesus' name and always for the greater fame of his name.